Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Monday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is April 10th. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan, I'm doing great. A, uh, another Masters in the books. And uh, I think, I mean, I think we've got one of our generational players knocking down a big pelt. So a, uh, a good Masters. I yeah, mean, you're feeling better than you did last year at this time, our, our Sunday Masters, when you kind of limped it to the finish. But uh, we had a great <laughs> Sunday running around out there. Uh, we will try to convey what we saw as best we can here without, I don't know, taking five hours of your time. Um, I think that's the one thing that's, you know, we were walking up, I, I believe 17, we were together, and you know, it's not like been a great final round, right? But they're going to get a great champion. And I think that was kind of the case last year, right? And and that's not to diminish the tournament or diminish the, the final round, but um there were there wasn't like the, the we came into it with these two uh, I don't know if generational players is the word for it two all time major championship caliber types right well, we think Rom's going to win a fair amount of majors he's won two uh, Brooks Kepka's won about as many as anyone in his generation in his immediate peer group and I mean yeah it didn't I, it, it like, wasn't close super close you think about it like Rom this win cement him like if. If he didn't play another, hit another shot, he's a uh, Hall of Famer. He was pretty speechless in the post thing yeah, press conference that he was the first European ever to win the U.S. Open and the Masters. And I know stats like you can come up with these sort of niche cross sections to find you know unique achievements, but I don't know. That's a big one that he was really struggling with. I was surprised at how much people are talking about how much he's into history. Uh, I think I'd, I'd I'd heard that about him, but. You know, I got to talk to his caddy. I talked to Ollie. Uh, they just talked about how much he, all the YouTube videos he watches and like how he studies all these old rounds and shots. And to see him totally stunned, like really struggling to come up with words to, to realize, you know, when he was told he was the first Euro, Euro to win both the Masters and U.S. Open was pretty fascinating to me. Um, so we have a great champion, not maybe like the most riveting final round. We had a pretty great long Sunday. If you're into golf, this was great, right? It wasn't like back and forth drama to, at the very end. But the Masters tends to, you know, by dint of the field, the size, and the way the tournament's conducted, it produces all-timers, right? The Most of the all-timers have uh, contended here or probably won here. And, and we have one in John Rump. So... Um, where do you want to go first with Rom? What stuck out to you today? I think like he got the pat side of the draw and won by four. He was very- yeah. I mean, he four putted the first green yeah. of the tournament. I think I think to be what's always stuck out to, with John Rom since really like the first tournament he played on the PGA Tour mm-hmm. when he turned professional. You just looked at him and it was just all around excellence. And I think, you know, it's 
He's super into the history of the game. I I don't think he's like the most I, I you know he's not the most fascinating character. He's not like Jordan Spieth where he's got you know the eccentric like shots and you know the roller the coaster com- of yeah the conversations. He's he's his golf game's boring to watch because he's so good. Yeah, uh, the, the the Seve. I don't know what like, the connection we're trying to make to Seve other than they were both Spanish. Like his game is nothing like Seve, right? He's not in the woods. He, his best shot of the day was from, you know, a little bit of a predicament at fourteen where he curved it around a, beautifully to take the back slope of the green to a few feet, and that was kind of it. That was curtains there. We were we were down in fifteen, and they slapped the leaderboards from. Uh, 11 to 8 to 12 to 7 and a lot of quite honestly a ton of people cheered yeah yeah I that, think, was, that was another thing we can get into if you want it was an, it was an interesting dynamic out there i thought i thought brooks had a ton of support all week um but then you know that was actually something i had written down in my notes on thursday was just how big of a crowd rom's group drew and i think obviously JT. Yeah, it was JT, but like I mean, John Rahm, this season he's having is just extraordinary. I mean, he's got four wins, and we're it's April. Um, it was interesting on the crowd note. His caddy um, said, "John, in America, people root less for John," and he's like, "That's not a bad thing. It's expected." He said today he thought there were a lot more. Uh, people rooting for him a lot more i feel like john had a few more people out there rooting for him and i don't know if that was there's like this live element which is not story a but like you had a live player versus pga tour player i was a little bit surprised like at how much like anti like live stuff i heard quite honestly from like we're in the media and we we kind of get caught up in the twitter battles and stuff and i was a bit surprised by and this is a pretty sophisticated, well, traditionalist crowd, right? Probably a traditionalist crowd. I was a bit surprised that kind of people not being super cool with live guys and not wanting live guys to win. I, w- I, w- I was honestly shocked. And I don't know if that meant, I, I think people loved seeing Brooks competitive. I think of, of all the live people, he was probably one of the more palatable options. But it was just interesting to hear Rom's caddy say, you know, I'd say in America, less people root for John than elsewhere and out there it felt like there were a lot more this week uh and and today i'm sorry sunday against against brooks so uh that was certainly a, a dynamic i guess i i wasn't paying super close attention to who was rooting for more but when they switched that score from 12 to 7 at, after 14 like the big roar that went up around 15 and 16 was was fascinating to me An interesting one dynamic. yeah i i mean i it's truly like I think one of the things that's, you know, if if Rom's not on the wrong side of the draw, what's this look like, right? You know, yeah. It, I think that's the other thing is like, you know, the four shot win is super impressive, especially considering the draw. But should it have been a six or seven shot win? You know, where would he have gotten to if he had played in Brooks's conditions? Because like, you know, you think about that first round. It, it I mean starting out with a double and then shooting 60, 65 is ext- it's just awesome. I mean, like there's not much to say about John Rahm because he makes the game look so easy. Right. You know, right. it is, it is fairway green, you know, very minimal mistakes. I will say like, I mean, I think like I thought 
kind of the more interesting part of today, you know, was Kepka and just not showing up. Yeah. And really, I think it started on the 17th Seven. hole. Okay. Of the third round where he missed the shorty. Like, it looked like he kind of was like, you know, Rom, Rom didn't play great this morning. You know, it was like there are these lulls and everything in golf. And Rom kind of had that lull in the morning. He was not good. I, I know Adam Hayes talked about how he felt like he, he was a little bit uncommitted with some shots this morning. And, um, you know, I think Brooks kind of had him on the ropes and he missed that shorty on 17 and, and it, it gave him life. I, I, I mean, Brooks was super disappointing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it all started with that first tee shot. I put down in my notes, like, Brooks on the first tee, that sounded worse than Gary Player's uh, ceremonial tee shot. I was like, up at the first green. I didn't hear it. It was bad. It was like a, a ding. I went up to the green. It sounded yeah. like it, just like he hit it with like the <laughs> like a like a tee ball bat. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. He was he was poor. Do you want to jump into the mano a mano stuff? Yeah, I mean it was a match play. You we know, started on seven, four event, shot lead at eight thirty. Six and five. Brooks had a four shot lead at set on seven green. At 8.30 a.m. in the third round, there's a two-shot swing immediately on the seventh green. But it was got back. So, like, that that swing, right? When you're talking about the blowing pot at 17, like, he kind of reasserted himself on the back nine. For me, like, this had a little shades of, of like, Kiowa for me. When And I'm not saying Rom and Phil are, are much alike. They went to Arizona State. Um the crowd seemed to be more in the favor of Phil and of Kiowa. I'd say there was a little bit of that this play this today, but nothing like that uh, to that extent in Kiowa. But Brooks was just like a, a bystander. He kind of got body bagged starting with the, the day with the four shot lead. And I thought that like the slow play was a big part. So Phil deliberately slow played Brooks at, at Kiowa. I don't think Ron was trying to do that. In the morning, Brooks was incredibly quick, right? It just was moving. Even at like 10 was a big example of that. He is behind a tree, just chips out, hits it, just stones it to pin high from the middle of 10 fairway when he doesn't want to give away another shot as, you know, hopefully things are, are not leaking there and makes a par. Or miraculous. He was just moving. Then it got brutally slow, like awfully slow. It was ridiculous. And he talked agitation about that. And then that... We saw someone this morning um, in golf, someone who's won big tournaments, who said, like, if I were Rom, I'd slow play him because Brooks is just, vi- like, flying and moving and, and and it's all working for him. Well, it, it wasn't it wasn't Rom who, who slow played and that's, him. Yeah, Rom did not. Some it wasn't other, like Phil. Some other, it, 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 some other parties slow played him. <laughs> we're going to get know, to that. We'll, we'll get to that. I, it was horrendous out there. And I just think, like, with with Rom, I don't I don't know if I'm if I'm Brooks. He was like a bystander, and I don't know what I'm thinking. Brooks is bigger, or Rom is stronger and bigger than not stronger, but bigger. He's a bigger. He's a physical presence. This wasn't Victor Hovland. I'm not saying Vic is is not a great athlete or strong or rip, but like Brooks like buys into that shit. The athlete. I thought I, it was. I think Brooks has an intimidation factor. Yes, and. He asserts his physical size over people. Like, you know, 
he's not he's no longer like extremely long like he's long but he's not like extremely long but he has a physicality about his game you know and when you think about like physical golfers like people that like you might stand on a tee box next to intimidated by like there's maybe one guy that physically is like you know as intimidating at the top of the game it's John Rom. I think that That's was huge. significant. Yeah, I th- I think it was a big thing. I I I think that matters to Brooks too. He likes to talk about like the athletes and like it's interesting to me that you know Hayes is like you know the most the most athletic player was always going to win this week, and they asked him if he was sorry for Brooks. Like, no, these guys are athletes. Like, if they lose, I'm not like I don't feel bad for Brooks like losing and. Yeah, I think the physical part played a, uh, played a part. I thought it was interesting for Rom. I found this quote, I, I remember at Riviera when he was going up against Max Homa, right? That was kind of a one-on-one battle. And he told Kira Dixon, people don't think too much about this, but it's important to start teeing off ahead of Max. He's referring to Riviera uh, following the 13th hole and down the stretch. Uh, and he says, I put the pressure on going first. Well, he starts the day down four, chips away, Brooks has the tee to start the final round. Rom makes birdie at three, takes the tee at four, and doesn't give it back until 16. Great. And I'm not saying he gave it back. It's, he, he was playing safe by 15, right? He was he was kind of playing not to hit in the water. Still had a bir- birdie chance. Five up, yeah. five up with four to play. He had a birdie chance, but you know Brooks took it because he went for it in two and, and made his birdie. So he took the tee at four and didn't give it back till 16. And he talked about that again. This seems to be a thing he really cares cares about. He's like, um, you know, I thought it was important to like show to to put, take it to him, right? Um, I had a, he had a four shot lead. Um, you know, there were a lot of options. He, he, he just said um, it was important to show first, right? Put the pressure on, right? And show him what I can do first and make him like he wants to display. Like, I think like with Brooks, there's this intimidation and alpha stuff that Phil sort of got to him at Kiowa. Uh, we've seen a bit of fair amount of shaky rounds kind of since Beth Page when he got on his ropes when people were ch- ch- chanting for DJ at Beth Page and today it was kind of like Rom's this big guy he took the tee I took the tee on four the goal is to keep giving him something to look at if I hit a good shot just to, for him to see that I have a birdie chance keep putting the ball in the fairway keep making good swings for him to feel more pressure rather than me right me being the one pushing so Brooks kind of didn't play well at all, but also he, he had met his match, I think, in, in this final pairing, at least on Sunday. People were making the 54-hole jokes, and he faded, but the, like that was like an easy <laughs> do you, layup. Do you, do you think the 54-hole? No. no. No? Well, it seems like he faded. I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> no I think like I, that was, I, I'm not trying to make the 54-hole yeah. joke, but I think like there are just little things, too, that Brooks was doing. Like, you know, he was getting above the hole. Um, he wasn't just in the right positions as much. And when you get a little bit out of position, he hit some bad tee shots. He didn't drive it as well as he's driven it. You know, you get out of position there, it's super hard to be aggressive, and Rom was in the right positions, right? You know, like he was, it, Rom was under the hole. And like that matters at Augusta National is having putts where you can hit putts because that's, when you can hit a putt, you just feel so much more comfortable over it. And, 
Yeah, Rom constantly putting it out there and being in front of Kepka, putting the pressure on again is a, th- a thing with comfort, right? It's just putting a little bit extra, like making shots feel different than they usually do. And I think that's the thing that Brooks typically does to other guys, right? Kind of what he did all week. Yeah, he's kind of machine-like. Until Sunday. That's the thing about these two guys, which was fascinating to me, is just really when they're at their best, they're very similar players, right? Mm -hmm. They're steady, tee to green excellence, great all-around players where you just feel like there's no Save hole. everything. They yeah. save everything. Brooks saves, you know, when it gets in a bunker or a tough spot, he usually saves everything when he's at his best. And Rom is often that way. He doesn't, doesn't give up much. The only time Rom, like, gives up is when he gets, like, he's so aggressive that he thinks he's going to, like, chip it in. That happened at one. He's like, I'm going to chip in from the side of the green. And he just fly. you know, it flies by the hole. So that that's like the only time where, where you know maybe Rom gets himself into trouble because he is pretty, so aggressive and so confident in his ability to save. Um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting dynamic in, in the final group that sort of petered out really by fourteen. I mean, it just felt like a slow bleed for Brooks. It, it really did, and I don't know if that had something to do with Rom, had something to do with his own game. Maybe it was his knee. The fifty-four hole. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was that. Uh, what else did you like from the from the final pairing? Um, I I just think I mean the way Rom played down the stretch was really smart. I mean laying up on fifteen was really smart. Um, I thought that was you know he just he did the things down on that back nine where he had the lead like he wasn't gonna give it away. He talked in his press conference about I thought this was fascinating. So he he. The question was about, you know, if he had talked to Tiger at all during the yeah. um, last year's Masters. And he was like, no, we talked a lot about family. He goes, but I did talk to Tony Finau this year in a practice round about 2019. And he asked Tony about his shot that went in the water, you know, that obviously cost him a chance to win that Masters. And Tony was like, you know, Tiger hit it left of the bunker. And he talked about how he filed that away. And today, coming down the stretch, he hit it. He just hit it left of the bunker. He thought of, "I'm gonna hit it at the round three pin," and uh, and he's like, "I hit it to three feet to the, to the morning pin, and it was a perfect shot." Like you just think about that. Like he's a sensible guy. I I just thirteen I mean, did the same. Obviously, a right pin. He just threw it out far left so he wouldn't get into trouble. Chip, almost chipped in for Eagle. I mean, Brooks did the same thing, but just he does, he, he kind of kept hitting all his spots, especially where you could get in big trouble, like a 12, a 13, a 15 lane up there. I mean, he's got 20 professional wins. <laughs> Is that right? A lot of Spanish. Uh, he's, got, not some. he's got 11 PGA Tour wins. Okay. And then 10 European Tour wins. I, uh, I guess that's, that's we got to take out the US Open and Masters. So he's got 18 wins. Okay. 18 wins. It's a lot. It's been it's, around only, a, you know, whatever, five, six it's, years. It's 2017. Yeah. yeah. So six years. Yeah. Three wins a year. I mean, he's got four. He's having a career year. I, I think, like, it's pretty fascinating to think about where it's going, where he's going. And I think that's really what this was because it was kind, it's kind of a coordination of a player. Like, 
he was you kind of knew he was never going to be a one major guy. Yeah. I loved his joke that he kind of was uh he was wondering Tory. if this if he, if he only would win major championships at Tory Pines. <laughs> you know. And and last year was a, such a disappointment for him. I think that's the other thing, the big takeaway here. He had a terrible major year last year after like a year where he was by far the best player in the world. And you know the ebbs and flows, and and now now like it's like how many of these does he win? He might win. You know he played well at the Pac twelves at at LA. LA. You have to think he's going to play well there. I mean the game fits everywhere. Um, it does. You know could he could he be the first guy that gets the Grand Slam? Yeah, it it seems like that that's not a preposterous question, right? And someone asked him about it. He's like, I've got two. The other guys have three. I'm not like worried about that yet. But everything we've seen in, in sort of the last couple of years would indicate that yes, he is on pace to contend everywhere and and for a long time. Um, what else do we want to take? Here, I, my question for you: um, Are you surprised by how well the live guys played? No. Phil Mickelson, runner-up. Brooks Kepka runner-up. Patrick Reed sort of got in the mix a little bit. T4. Um, seven under. No, I'm not. Are you? I, 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 have a good, I have a good theory here, but go ahead. A little bit. I mean, they've these guys have been so underwhelming. I think that's the thing, is that we haven't seen, you know... I think Phil can come out here in his sleep and play well. Mm-hmm. This is a golf course that he just understands how to play well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... That and and one of the things I I was thinking about today with Phil is like, did this whole thing cost him two years of major? Like you basically he was in like, exile. Yeah, like a year. Last year we washed a year out of majors. I mean, he's fifty-two. I'm not. Yeah, he I know. won I know. in twenty twenty-one. He's runner-up today. He's runner-up today. Oh, runner-up. Did we just, like, flush a year, one of his twilight years down the drain? Because, and obviously, I think there's a lot, probably a lot of reasons why this happened. Um, and, you know, maybe that would have been a bigger problem than taking a year off, you know? But this is, uh, I don't know. It's it's crazy to me that, that Phil finished second. This is just, it's it's a page out of the, the PGA playbook, like, he never. He had no good form. No, there no reason to think he would play well here outside of his history here. And you know, here he is, T two at the at the major. I'm not surprised about Kepka. And I mean, the other thing about this is they have a lot of guys that have great histories here. Yeah, they have whatever a bunch of green jackets that made the Champions Center so awkward. I have an interesting live theory, but I want to do an ad read first for Club Champion and then I'll come back to it. Club Champion. Uh I don't know, you know, if the Masters will ignite, you know, that you you're playing persimmon tomorrow, right? You're going to play persimmon, you're almost going to spit your it's water good, out. It's a good club Did you champion, get that at Club Champion? No. You got your persimmon? Because you haven't been able to get off your ass. Everybody's coming out of hibernation. The golf season, Masters usually kind of gets people out off their butt playing golf. Uh, If you're coming back into the golf season and you're looking for new equipment, if you have just old dated crap 
And you don't want to be sold a bill of goods. You don't want to just buy into somebody's marketing slogan about this, that, or the other. Their little technology go doing this for you. Go to Club Champion. Uh, they're brand agnostic, which is why we like them. You can say, hey, I love this. I'm a Wilson guy, and I want Wilson. Phil's brand agnostic now. Is he? Well, I think well, not so. By, I think not by, not by choice, choice. But yeah. Uh, but you can say you want a certain kind. They're not going to push you in any direction. If this, you know, it's it's you know silly to spend this kind of money just buying stuff off the rack, not being fitted, not being you know testing multiple options. And Club Champion has fifty thousand hittable head shaft combos in every store, sixty plus brands, a hundred locations internationally, and master fitters to get you dialed in. Uh, you average twenty two yards increase off the tee. Those who go and, and do the testing and, and purchase seventeen yards in, increase with irons and ten yard better dispersion. Uh, you can use the promo code FRIEDEGG to get 50% off the fitting cost with the purchase of a club. So as we kind of all come out of hibernation, maybe you don't want a full set. Maybe you just want new wedges. I don't know. Maybe you want a hybrid or a three wood. You want to figure that out. You get 50% off the fitting cost with the purchase of a club. This is the way to do it. Uh, Go get tested at Club Champion. All right. Someone talked to me about Live. And how Norman was going to use this as an example of like, look, how many great guys we got playing. Like, we have studs. Like, look at this. We had a major and immediately we had three guys in the top whatever. I'll say this. Uh, I'm pretty sure Augusta National is pretty happy that a live guy did not win. I'm not pretty. I I don't have any intel. I thought it was amusing, amusing that Fred Ridley thanked. On the, on the putting green ceremony, the PGA Tour, the USGA, the RNA, the LPGA, the PGA of America, and like slowly said, and obviously who are all present here and they're all working together, you know, it, it, you know it's kind of a summit and did mention live. Like I think they're, they're, I don't know if this is a win for the ecosystem, but I think they were happy that John Rahm, I know Jay Monahan, who I saw was walking out there <laughs> following the final group. I think he was probably pulling for the non-live guy, if I had to say. But kept, uh, uh, Norman will probably claim this as a, an exhibit of, of the depth that they have. The depth? Or uh, not the depth, <laughs> but the, the, the talents they have. Does, did she want Kim get in the field? The talents they have. I mean, Sorry, depth was the wrong word. Well, how I would flip that around and how it was proposed to me by someone who's pretty unbiased. It's like, isn't this kind of evidence that these guys are just dicking around on live? Because Phil like can't break into the top forty on live. Brooksy, I guess, won last week, but well, has the only two time winner in pretty middle. No, has been pretty like kind of come and go. And has always said, you know, I use all the other stuff as as reps for the majors. Uh Patrick Reed. Not super great. Like Charles Howell the Third is beaten up on that, you know, on on live. So it could be evidence as nor like a counter argument to Norman. I'm not saying which one's better or right. A counter argument there is like I think this is sort of evidence of those guys maybe getting paid, maybe not taking it super seriously, and maybe having a little bit more game or more form or more interest than they let on and uh, Crooked Cat or Tuxin or Mayakoba or Bangkok or wherever it may be. Well, I mean, I I have to think that somebody like Brooks Kepka or Phil Mickelson or Patrick Reed 
doesn't like being told that they aren't good at golf anymore. You know? Yeah. That someone these said are, like they were clearly motivated. People, yeah. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. this they had this date marked in their calendars because it's like, okay, everybody says we can't play anymore. And I think that, you know, it is a lazy argument and like I've been I you know, I, I like to poke fun at, at guys playing really bad in forty eight player fields without a cut, you know. But But maybe they don't care. It's yeah. just not even a the matter. That's not barely competition to them. I don't know. Well, Phil says he's he's really motivated by having teammates. Just like Brendan Steele's working like, with him on yeah. his driver or something well, like that. When he played high school golf. Did he say that? <laughs> yeah. It's, he just is feeling this youthful spirit that uh, that he hasn't had in a long time. So, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I Let's run down a list. And, and you tell me, are you, uh, where do you take it away? Are you happy or, or disappointed leaving Augusta National? Obviously, we're going to take John Rahm's uh, a happy. Quite happy. Brooks Kepka. No. No. Uh, you mean Kepka himself? Yeah. No. I thought it was, uh, I was amazed at how quickly he fell back in love with Kepka, like the major championship swagger, badass, I'm going to win these things guy, having him back competitive and contending. Like we were all so, and I'm not saying rooting or loving, but fascinated. He's, he's a great character at these majors and he's been really like sad like kind of like decrepit the last few years by his body and and irrelevant a little bit so it was fascinating to me how back on every the brooks wagon everybody jumped just by by being fascinating not necessarily rooting for him but i think he walks away pretty pissed off he blew a four shot lead at the start of the day he's got to be furious i think he he was bad he was bad in that final round really bad on sunday yeah you know was not a good sunday all through and through Phil Mickelson. I cannot believe he's a runner-up. It's insane. I cannot believe he's a runner-up. He's been this like... <laughs> he was hiding behind pillars. He's been this like circus before the week. freak show in he recent months or hiding. recent year. He, he was hiding from like the greater golf seen. world. Yes, yes. And it's, now he's second. It's ridiculous. He, I, he loved it. He was just so... Pig and shit. You can tell he just loves when when he plays well, just getting to talk about playing well, you know? It was amusing to me that um, Rom said he was walking down 10 as Phil and Spieth were finishing up on 18. So those go like blow right by each other. And he was like, some some bad things crossed my mind that I did not want to cross my mind about them like being eight, nine and him like bleeding a shot or two away. And I think he felt that all of a sudden with Phil and Spieth making their charge. Yeah, it's ridiculous that that Mickelson's the runner-up. Of course he's walking away happy, right? Yeah, I mean, the guy almost won. He I had don't know bad, if he almost won. Well, he had the bad That's side of the draw, too. Solid Wikipedia runner-up. I don't know if he almost won. He lost by four. He was just so far out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spieth. Um, it's another Wikipedia deal, right? There were two guys that could win this tournament. Yeah, Kepka and Rom. Well, 
I think Victor Hovland could have won. Oh, God. Victor Hovland couldn't won I'm sure he, he was up by five. I'm kidding. I he mean, was only four back. And then he had to hit a chip shot at six. <laughs> we were there for that. Oh, we're like, oh, here we go. And he didn't hit a good chip, but he doubled. Yeah, he hit a really bad chip shot from the back of six green. He was only three back. So, yeah, he was in it. Okay. I mean, I couldn't. I wouldn't be happy if I were him. Hovland? Yeah. Then he bombed in a putt at 17. He just, yeah, his putter got really hot there for a while, yes, you know, late yesterday and today, early, and then it just went away. You think he's mad or happy? I, think I don't he, think he, you could be happy. He's had some pretty poor Sundays in a lot of big tournaments. Yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting he's, he's very young, but he's still figuring it out on Sunday. Is Spieth happy? Yeah, I think no, probably not. No, I think After, he probably will. The seventy six on on round three, like talk about like this guy just gets like Masters contention in his sleep and another top five. I don't think he's super thrilled. He didn't really contend, and he probably thinks about like maybe I could have had you know without a seventy six in, in round three, I've, I've got a chance. It is kind of crazy with the, with the top six players. So it's like T four. There's three guys at T four. So the top six, three of the guys got the bad end of the cut or bad end of the draw. Draw right. Like Spieth, Mickelson, um, and Rom had to like dealt with like the brunt of the shit. You right. know. Right, I mean the other thing is like those Spieth. I I thought when it rained, it became kind of like a bombers like place. Like it was distance became super super valuable. I and mean, yeah, guys were hitting you know had two twenty and a lot of par fours. Some can't par four. can't have that MLR ball because of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought I thought um, I I think if you're Spieth, you have to take away as a win. I wouldn't, of course, I wouldn't expect you to think anything else. I mean, yeah, this is it's another, it adds to his Augusta lore, all these high finishes with no chances of winning. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he had a chance. So I, I don't think he's super it's happy. Very 2019, or 2018, was it, right? Yeah. How about Russell Henley? He's got to be thrilled. God, it, you want to talk about pace supply? Yeah, let's tell you. We got to get here. This was You were insane. so mad about Patrick Cantlay. You're like, oh, there he is. <laughs> 10 minutes to read another putt. Okay, okay, hold 10 on, feet hold short. on. Let's talk about Patrick Cantlay. All right. Okay. I don't know how much of I, I saw online that there was a lot of outrage about Patrick Cantlay, but let me. I'm just going to talk about the 16th hole. John Rahm goes so, to take the pitch. Yeah. 16. They're on the green. They get to the green while Brooks and um, Rom Rom are putting. On fifteen. Yes, they did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because remember, they were walking by, and Adam Hayes. They were seemed, kind of a, seemed to be yeah, kind of apoplectic about how slow it was going. They barely got done before dark. They yeah. Let's off at two thirty. All right. So they're they're they get to the green. Brooks and Rom finish putting. They walk to the 16th tee. Rom goes and takes a piss. Comes back. Pin has still not been pulled. And Cantlay still hadn't hit the putt. He, <laughs> he was the first to He was putt. reading it. Yes. Rom goes and takes a leak. Comes back. The putt had still not been made. He did the same thing on 13. It took him like literally three, four minutes to hit a putt. 
I thought it was really not fair to the last two guys. Well, Henley was, was so slow too. That Remember how long he, he, he took was, to he hit a wedge? A, he was awful at, at 15. Awful to watch putt, awful to watch wedge. But my whole thing that I couldn't believe was this happened at two. It happened at th- four. Like we're talking the first 30 minutes. These guys were waiting all day. I thought it wasn't really fair to the to Rob and Kepka. We watched them play pretty quickly in the morning. It's as That's threes. The They're like fast players. As threes, even with Sam Bennett, who's not fast. Oh God, he was slow. People were really upset about that. But it just felt like these guys were waiting ten and fifteen minutes between shots. Remember eight? Remember eight? And some of this was Hovland had to pop it out of the bunker and then hit up, and and that happens. But I think they hit their drives and waited like 12 to 15 minutes before they could, or, or I'm sorry, after walking off seven, seven green, I think they waited over 10 minutes before they could hit their drive on eight. Like this wasn't just like the back nine, the second nine at Augusta in the last hour. It was bad on two. It was bad on four. And I thought it was really not fair. And Cantley was, <laughs> you were like, just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. It's taking, taking 25 minutes to read a putt. He leaves a 10-foot short. Great. Thank you, Patrick. He and the then he three-putted. Uh, he did the 16. same thing on 13. Yeah, I know. It was insane. And he three-putted. I don't you know. can't have this. I don't know how they enforce it. I, think, I mean, they. I do know how. They have to enforce it. I don't know where it was starting. I think it was Henley Matsuyama Cantlay group. Really jammed. A- All I know is how, uh, Rom and, and Brooks were waiting an unfair amount of time. This this can't like golf needs to like it needs to address the pace of play because you go on you go I I spent basically the week without a phone yeah and it was great but then you come pop back in and it's just like the discord like the way people are talking about the sport is like this is so slow like everybody's upset about Patrick Cantlay and how long he's taking and it's it's just. You shouldn't be able to just take as long as you want to hit a putt. That that there's there needs to be some limit to of of time that you can hit a putt. And he was completely out of it. Brooks Kepka. Yeah, the group in front of us was brutally slow. John went to the bathroom seven times during the round, and we were always still waiting. I I, I mean, it wasn't just the group ahead of him; it was groups. Right. I think, but that I think one he, of the things that happened was that the tea time gaps were smaller than nine usual. Nine minutes, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. But still, nine yeah. minutes, that's the way like municipal golf courses. It was a five hour round in twosomes. It was a five hour round. Regardless of the gaps, it was a five hour round. In and twosomes. They had to have these flood they wouldn't have gotten. Things. They would not have gotten the playoff in. Uh, yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, it was dicey. The uh, the, the jacket ceremony on the putting green. They brought out these like floodlight, like TV light things, so there would be more light. Um, KLI was really frustrating to watch, and that was like I remember looking down at Brooks. He was brooding about this. Of course, his play wasn't good. I think it probably affected him. Like we've seen this affect him. He's a fast player. I think it bothers him. I mean, does he have to be able to handle it? Yeah, but I, I do think it probably bothered him. He was brooding on 16, watching Cantlay go through everything. He was had it, it, it. 
he talked about how that negatively impacted him, what Phil did at Kiowa, and I think it did so again today. Man, back to our top ten. I just was I just noticed this. Back to our top ten of the tournament. Chef? Scotty no. Scheffler. Yeah. Just, he shot 70. It wasn't like he rocketed up the board. In the final it's just round. a sneaky backdoor, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, Cam Young, what, what would you say about him? Happy, unhappy? Um, Winner or loser? He's fine. It's he's seven. I think you're probably he's got a bad, happy enough. Bad side that. of the draw, too. Yeah. Okay. You know? There, yeah, he was getting beat around with, with JT and Rom in that group. So, the first couple of days. Yeah, I, I mean, I think another building block for him. I, I, yeah, he's starting to develop. He's starting to develop quite the major championship resume. You know, when you start to think about it, he's played Old basically course. two years of majors. Yeah, he's got two top threes and a and a, now a uh, a T seven at the Masters. Yep. Was he even in the Masters? La- he was in the Masters last year, right? I'm not sure. I think so. Um, what else jumped out to you? about today is there anything with augusta national that's kind of i i thought i was very happy that john rom man of the people first thing he said was a maintenance he was the maintenance crew he's like you know it, they didn't get a good week of weather i i think they're pretty fortunate and you are too because you you're could, playing here on monday that you they could got call it done. the weather sensory blitzkrieg <laughs> You could call that. It, it did create a little bit of a sensory blitzkrieg out there on, on Saturday and, and even Sunday morning. Um, so they, uh, Rob thanked the maintenance crew. First thing, he was kind of uh, incredulous at, at the amount of work that you know that they had it where they had it. You know, inside the ropes, outside the ropes, it was tough with the foot traffic. But it was never going to be super firm and fast. That's now become a pretty recurring thing with the, the Masters. Uh, anything that stuck out to you about the course, be, given the week of weather that they got? Um, yeah, I think it was. I think today was really hard. Um, a little bit. I of think. Wind. Yeah, I think the thing that I, this stood out to me last year about the place and uh, is when it's windy, you don't like you can't see it on TV. Like it doesn't look harder on TV. Like and so obviously when it's really windy, you see it, but when it's like windy. You don't feel it in certain parts. Then you get to different parts, and then you're like, "Oh, it's pretty windy." You know, it's it, one of the places that it, it stuck out to me was on 13. You know, it's kind of like you're back in the trees there, and you don't know, you know, that it's like you can't feel much. But it's funny; everybody was missing left. You know, missing that right pin left. And then I walk, we walked out to 15 and we were up in a, another grandstand and I just felt this wind like con- humming. And I was like, oh, that's why all the guys missed left. And I think that's the thing about, about the place that is like, you know, John Rom even t- he talked about it with his shot on six. He's like, I thought I hit a perfect shot on six and I hit a gust and it sucked way back, sucked way back yeah. you know? And yeah. it's like, you're just hitting to these tiny targets and so much of the time, you can't feel the wind or see the wind because, you know, you're having to look into trees. There's not a lot trick. of indica- yeah. in- indicators here I mean, for wind. It, that, like it, flags and things like that. It adds to the experience factor. I think, it, you know, all these things, the greens are one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But the other aspect of it is hitting shots into these greens. Like, you have to understand where to look and 
trust the way the wind's going because that's the heart. I think that's like subtly the hardest thing about the place is that you literally cannot feel the wind like anywhere and you can get in these weird tunnels, but a like a couple places, I would say like a couple places, but yes, not it's hard. It's like so, eight and like that feel the big field sort of across like eight, three T, but I mean, those aren't like approach shots necessarily. Right. It's just like, it gets windy in certain spots. But yes, most when you need to hit critical approach shots, yeah, you can't really sense it. Um, I thought thirteen was great. What did you think of thirteen? I enjoyed it. I loved. I mean, it seemed like a lot of guys were going for it. It wasn't an automatic thing if you got in a uh, less than ideal situation, but it's you still got to hit a better shot than you did last year, or a harder shot than you did last year. Yeah, I mean, we saw and, it, them coming down the stretch. Like Rom didn't lay up, and Brooks. It was pretty far back, you know. He he couldn't lay up. And Eagle was like a real achievement. And like, that's not to say they were a dime a dozen last year, but it felt like an Eagle was a really, really big achievement this year. Phil said he thought they should extend the front of it a little for for days like you know this morning where the tee box. Get, yeah, I I would kind of agree with that. Yeah, a little more Just flexibility. Yeah, that makes sense. It, yeah, it was fine. I I think it works well for the tournament. We talked about this, but I don't know. That doesn't mean it, it shouldn't have to happen and it doesn't look great, but yes, it works well. It those worked those well. par fives on the back are like really good now because like they have a lot more risk than they had two years ago. Yeah. You know? I think that's fair. You saw a lot of guys hitting, laying up again on 15. Not a lot, but, but as many who go for it towards the last few groups. Um. Yeah, I thought it was another, I don't know, fabulous tournament. I, I, I struggle a little bit with John Rahm because he is such a machine. He's a, I love watching him. It was fabulous to watch I enjoy all day. T- listening to him talk, I too. I agree, too. I don't know what it is that is... That's yeah. not the part. I don't think he's like a dial tone or mm-hmm. uninteresting at all. I love listening to him talk. Um, but he's sort of just like... He goes about his business. Grinds people out and wins it. He's, yeah. he's lost a little bit of the temper, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He said, I, he, when he thanked the volunteers, he goes, I thank the volunteers because you put up with us because when we hit one offline, I come over, I'm very grumpy. <laughs> like as you're moving the crowd back, like I'm very, very grumpy when I hit one offline. But uh, no, he, he seems like he's very deeply invested in his family too. Yeah. I don't, you know, you do, you can't ever really know. Yeah. But it seems to like love yeah. being the dad, doing the dad stuff. Obviously, his wife as well. But he really does seem to like that. Seems to be a thing that that kind of gives him joy and fills up his tank, and it does for many and most people who are parents. But it it seems to really impact him. Um, yeah, I can't remember where I heard him talking about how, like you know, like mornings if he has an afternoon tea time, it's like I just am spending time with my kids. Like you know. I don't know. I think it, it it's a uh, something that I kind of look at as somebody who has a kid around the same age, and I sure. and I, I think like you know one of the things that he talks the way you know I would talk about you know kids. So I, I don't know if it's that much different, but it just seems to me like and even watching him after the after the round, like the way the kid uh, ways uh, his kids react to him. You yeah. Know? Uh, I thought it was cool to see a lot of the ball come out and give him a, a big hug. I don't. I, they kind of overplay the Spanish connection too much, but like 
these were the guys telling them telling us themselves right a lot of the ball was pretty emotional i saw him rushing out of the uh clubhouse like putting his jacket on as he was like speed walking to get to the 18th green sergio i don't believe was in sight i don't think he stuck around i thought it was amusing a lot of the ball was hitting balls on the range so was willett who missed the cut they're just grinding on the range today um and i thought about that short game session that they had in november two years ago that golf Mm -hmm. channel thought i think they're like sports writers and golf writers overdo this like savvy connection and the spanish but they kind of are showing and telling us themselves. Rob's talking about how much he, you know, he knew it's Seve's birthday. R.I.P. Seve. Uh, a lot of the ball said it was in the back of their minds all week that this would be Seve's birthday and Rob could win on it. Um, and they were working together. They he was out there on the green to hug him. They were working together in the short game area a couple of years ago. So like there is what one of the things the Masters does the best. And it's by presence of these past champions is it connects generations, right? It like really, like these champions come and are always present and most of them get to play, you know, until they tell you you can't anymore. They just, you know, they can't even hit the fair, you know, they're shooting 85 and they don't want to play anymore. But like these champions all come back. Like it really is, does a great job of keeping this connective tissue from one generation to the next. And that's obviously now they're really strong with the, the Spaniards in particular and i thought it you know they articulated that how much that means to them after the round so i think like yeah i do roll my eyes sometimes when people like overplay what sevi meant to rom because rom probably didn't really see him ever i don't think he ever met him and like it clearly like his presence and what he did and his trailblazing means something but it can't be overplayed, but again, they're telling us and showing us that it is a thing that's important to them. So I, I thought that was cool to see uh, in the post-win kind of scrum and, and melee around. You know, you know. I think there's it. something about Spanish players too. Like I, I, and this might be that I'm just cherry picking the great Spanish players, but yeah. like you know. You want to do Gonzalo Fernandez Castano, <laughs> Pablo Larata Ball. What are you what are you trying to do here? I just I think those Alvaro guys Quiros. all the great Spanish players have great hands. Okay. And great hands lend themselves to Augusta National. All those guys can yeah. hit chip shots. Like eighteenth hole is a perfect example. That pitch that Rahm hit was as Phil would say, saucy. Salty or Salt, saucy? Salty. He does both. He does Salty, both. saucy. His uh, chip on 13. Yeah. It's f- fabulous. Really yeah. great. So I think that's the thing is like they they have just a little uh, joie de vivre. To yeah, their a little game. joy. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I don't know what, you know, they just have a little bit more flavor than your, uh, you know, off the conveyor belt, conveyor belt title is track man, guy. <laughs> track man. <laughs> You're throwing brands out there. Um, was there one person or one thing about today or this tournament that disappointed you most? I mean, it kept, I mean, it Rory, like Rory well, missed well, the cut. Yeah, that was that's two days ago news. But I yeah. know. It's just like I kind of was thinking about how last year, uh, you know, Rory was making that late charge and everything. And it's just like... That was the happiest he said he'd ever walked off here, right? I, I mean, there's been so few times. I think there's something about the like 15th hole and when you really think somebody could win there, right? Yep. 
And it always feels like he's out of it before then. Or like fighting back. It's like a long shot. To use a term, he doesn't have a big like momentous shot at 15 for the champion for the tournament yeah on sunday yeah that's that may be fair that may be fair i don't uh, know i don't i don't not a not a good week for rory but i thought i just i don't know i thought today was good not great good yeah, great I mean, champion but not a not like a super great final to that round. extent like rom not having to even like think about what he was doing on 15 that that's kind of a bummer right right Right, I mean, he had done the work that he needed to do by then, and and Kepka sort of faded. And then, just like in general, the weather was rough, right? You know, I I think that uh, it's just it sucks when you get all this like truncated stop start. Today was really cool having twenty seven holes. I was sure. thinking about it, like you know, would it be cool to have this all the time? But like, what you lose is just kind of like the the breaks and the you know the the schedule helps you right yeah where you have these breaks and you have these stops and the the tension builds and today we missed out on that you didn't have any like shuffler waking up and i'm crying because i don't know if i can do this right i mean it's sort of rom and kepka started on seven and just played you know they had an hour and a half or whatever they had in in the middle but yeah that was all right i just a good good final round not great but we got a great winner all right anything else I think that does it. You have notebook no notes you want to throw out there for, from. Uh... I don't know if I can repeat what this one one uh, apparently kid that comes here. It was like a teenager that comes here all no, the time. No, yeah, don't repeat that. <laughs> just Spalding smells or whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> he was commenting on. He was the mad kitty. about the. He was mad about the kitty the mud. <laughs> it rained two inches overnight. He was just mad that his shoes were getting like, muddy. It was like the ultimate entitled child. Uh, comment what do you have I, I think I've given I'm saving well I put a lot in my article and I've already said a lot of it I think so it was a good weekend we are fortunate to be here fortunate I'll tell to this I, I did have something I was saving for Brooks but he wasn't in contention I ran into two I didn't tell this on the pod right I might have I said so. it I might have said I it on the Twitter space I did but I don't you know um, I I was on it was on Friday when Brooks is playing great, you know, he's on eight. This was right before he made Eagle on eight. Um, but I had seen these two guys, and one of them was wearing a Florida State Seminoles hat, and they were very clearly cheering Brooks on. So they were following him. There was a couple holes. And uh, and I was, like, standing by him on the rope line on eight, and the one guy says to his buddy, you know, I only know, like, two live teams. And I'm like, oh. What lift teams, if you don't mind me asking, do you know? He goes, well, I know the Aces. To which I said, well, everybody knows the Aces. <laughs> and then he goes, um, the other team uh, is the Crushers. Yeah. He didn't and know Smash. Didn't know Smash. Didn't know mm-hmm. Brooksy's team. And this guy was like clearly a Brooksy fan. And I just thought like it kind of like encapsulates how weird the last year's been where you have this guy that's just like you know this is what he plays for and he's playing in relative obscurity where a, a clearly a Florida State fan clearly a Brooks Kepka fan doesn't know what team Brooks Kepka is the captain of 
Uh, you want a good fan story of, of naivete? <laughs> Is it about the Panther National guy? No, I saw. I did see another guy in Panther National hat today. There are multiple Panther National <laughs> enthusiasts out of Augusta. Um, <laughs> this is somebody, I think in the media center, uh, was walking with somebody and they overheard a patron or fans. They were watching Tiger on Friday. They're like, man, he's like really laboring. He's like got a limp. Did something happen? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> They're at the Masters. They didn't know Tiger had been in a car accident or didn't know like he just has a limp. And I think like the other person's like, I think he was like in an accident or two. Like I just, I don't understand. Like that's pretty basic. Like who won World War II? Kind of not like, like you eat salad with a fork and not a, not a knife. Like, I don't know what's like, that was bizarre to me that, that they would come to the masters at that level of, of, I don't know, naivete. So, uh, all right. I think that does it. Masters recap. We were uh, fortunate to be here. Thanks to... Uh, hey, I wanted to ask you. Yeah? Uh, what logo did you see most outside the Masters logo this week? Diamond and Gear? Yeah. I know what you're going to say, right? We talked about this. I mean, Cyprus was a big one. There were a lot of people in Cyprus. <laughs> Kia was always prominent down here. Augusta Country Club's in the mix, yeah. too. You get a lot of Augusta Country Club. I thought it was a hoopie, the onion. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's wearing their their best, you know. Yeah, it's funny. It's like you see just the same like rotation of logos. And then there's the guy in the three M open hat. <laughs> I saw a guy in a rocket mortgage hat. Today. Really? Yeah, they must have all. Yeah. Oh, a game with uh, another note. I saw. I Monahan was out there. He's following, and <laughs> he ran into Guy Kinnings, who's like the European tour. Like I don't know. People say he's like the real commissioner, not Pelly. Uh, but like a guy who's got a lot of power does a lot and they were he's a guy I saw him like they were like high five down by 11 and they have ran into each other they were chatting I said oh strategic alliance alive and well there they are Jay and, and Guy Kinnings from the Europe. the strategic alliance is as strong as ever and, and it's maybe not as fruitful as ever I don't understand necessarily what it's achieving but it's interesting to see them huddled up at Augusta National so anything else Huh? I'm gonna miss this uh, sweet sound of this com- of this uh, podcast room here what? at Augusta National. We're on the designated event. The RBC audio quality's Heritage. downhill from here. What if Rory wins at RBC Heritage? Davis Love style. I don't know. Yeah, could be interesting. The Davis Love phenomenon is my mind. I mean, we're basically gonna say that about anyone who probably didn't win the match. I could see us saying, like, oh, look, there he is. Davis Love style. Awful, it's so awful having a designated event the week after. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, we're gonna do it for the travelers you see, again. Spieth talked about how run down he was. No. Yeah. He's like, I played way too many events. Oh, God. It's like, I'm worn out. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. And he's got to go play next week. He's defending champ. Probably would play anyways, but... All right. This was a great Masters week. We are very fortunate to do this. We are very fortunate that you listen. We hope we entertained with the daily podcast and, you know, provide a little bit of information, intel, insight from the ground. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate your guys' continued support. We'll be back Wednesday, the preview, schedule for the week. Thank you guys for listening. (laughs) 